Hey everyone, this is Heather, and you're listening to Simply Healed with Heather Leonard. Today's episode is called Setting Expectations. I left it nice and broad because as you're probably starting to learn a lot more about me, (laughs) you know I'm going to go all over the bend with this one. So here we go, guys. Thanks for joining today. So I'd love to start with just a little story today about school stuff that I've been dealing with with my kiddos. So I still, my heart just can't, it's so hard to wrap around this. Uh, So a little boy, like we're probably talking eight or nine years old, picked on my son for not having a dad. And it's the maybe second or third time I've dealt with this since the loss of my husband. I think kids in some level, when they're really feeling hurt, look for a way to kind of dig back in a way that's really going to hurt the other person. And so they hit below the belt sometimes. They pick the thing that they know is really going to affect the person the most. And sadly for my kids, this is a sore subject. (laughs) So how it came to me is that um, one of my son's friends was standing up for him and then shoved this kid who then punched him in the face. At this age, right? Like so heartbreaking. So first off, how blessed are we to have such great friends that this little boy, his eyes welled up. He was so saddened by the words this kid was saying to my son and he could empathize at that age. Isn't that cool though to think that like he was able to empathize with him and imagine what it would have been like to not have a dad and somebody saying something so cruel and he jumped into action. Now, I'm not condoning the use of, you know, fists or pushing or any of that, like the physical stuff. No, but here's something that's really sort of been interesting to me is that even when I I came in and I met with the school, I wanted to talk to them a little bit about what was going on and my worries, but, um, it was like the reaction. So then when I talked to my son, so let me back up a little bit. When I talked to my son about the incidents, I found out that when he said those mean words to him, the kid also shoved him. So when I mentioned to the school, you know, I was upset that the boy that was defending my son was getting punished um, with no recess and, you know, his consequence when really I feel as a mom. Now, of course, Mama Bear, when she comes out, (laughs) maybe I'm not thinking entirely clear because I'm passionate and hurt and for my kids and protective. But I feel like words are so much worse than pushing and punching and you know like if someone had hit my kid it would hurt less than these words being said to them so from their point of view I imagine the same thing this cut deeper so I was surprised when I mentioned to them that this happened the response was like oh well we were unaware of that I didn't realize it was a physical thing too this is the first I hear of it like there'll definitely be action taken it's like that made them jump into action more so and I said to them you know, the words are what bother me. The the bullying and taunting and stuff, that's the stuff. And they agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. I said, well, I don't understand, like, is there consequence to that? Because losing a recess for hitting or using your hands is one thing. But what happens to these kids that are saying these really mean, cutting things? And it was like, oh, well, yeah, that's when I send them to guidance or whatever. So that's who I had asked for this meeting with was 
the vice principal and the guidance for this reason because I knew that would happen. And I wanted to like, I looked at her like, okay, so what's the the consequence, you know, but there really wasn't any, it was talking it through. And I get it. Like, I'm sure they're thinking like, you know, we need to help them and punishment is not always the way to get the result you want, you know? But I still felt so strongly that if you're going to give a punishment in the way of like a lack of a recess or a, you know, whatever, a detention. I don't know what they do at that age group. But if you're really going to go that route for a physical infliction of pain, then for this emotional pain they're causing, shouldn't the consequence be worse? Maybe the detention or lack of recess plus having to go to talk to to the guidance counselor and work through it. I mean, the last few times it happened, my son had to be part of the solution when he was the one being targeted, which bothered me, like a forced recess to play together or whatever the case may be. This isn't about how the school's dealing with things. It's just what I'm, what's been going through my mind with all of this is when it comes to expectations, you know, when we're expecting our children to change, when we're expecting, this isn't just about kids, I mean, adults to change. If consequences aren't there and the lack of like any type of sort of, you know, ownership or like uh, some type of, you know, you've done an act that hurts someone else, not an eye for an eye per se, but like you've done something to hurt somebody else and we need to show you like one, yes, absolutely. Like I say, that's why the, the guidance piece is so crucial to it because you can't just say, okay, now no recess and you know, but, but then what? Right. So actually this is a great example because with my oldest son, he got a lunch detention for the first time ever. And why did he get it? Because he was talking in the hallways between classes. Now, at first I was perplexed by this because I was like, wait a minute, hold up. Because to me, these kids are asked to sit still and quiet in a classroom all day long, all day. They have a quick break for lunch, a quick break for, I, they don't, I don't even know if they call it a recess anymore. It's like a few minutes to walk around the track and talk with their friends because there's really nothing they can do. They don't even have a basketball court to shoot around at. So they're basically outside just walking and talking. But I mean, it's a little break, but that's it in a whole day. So to me, like my son who before was a real chatterbug in class, like for him to hold that together for as long as he's holding it together in the classroom, I'm more than happy as a mom if in between classes in the hallway, he's choosing to let it out of it. Now, I understand the school's point of view because there's other classes still happening at the same time in classrooms and they need to respect that and be quiet as they're transitioning. I can understand that too. But to me, like, you got to let these kids get it out at some point, you know, like let them release some of this. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to hold it together for the next class. He hasn't talked to his friend all day and he's just wanting to share some things. So in my son's point of view, he was using a quote, uh, um, a quiet, low voice. I almost said a quote. I'm going to create my own language here. But I think he's not really capable of being quiet and understanding a true whisper. Even at the age of 12, he still struggles to find that quieter inside voice. Um, But it is quiet for him. You know what I mean? So anyway, long story here, but what ended up happening was the consequence was they took away his recess. They took away his lunch. (laughs) Now you have a kid being loud in the hallways 
because he's trying to get out some of that stuff and you're going to take away the two times a day that he has to get out some of that stuff. So here's where I'm going with this whole tale of kids in school. We have now set the expectation that you are to be quiet for the entirety of your day. And in the absence of being able to hold it together and stay quiet, the consequence will be more time having to stay quiet and still, (laughs) right? So expectations are funny. Like, what are we really communicating with our actions? Let's take an employee for a second. Like, let's say that you have an employee who's always coming in late to work, (laughs) Right. And you're like, well, we need to curb this behavior. How do you curb somebody's behavior? What they're communicating to you is lack of respect, lack of um, a concern that being there in an untimely manner is going to result in, you know, any kind of poor performance or so. I mean, really, I think the main thing is, is establishing at the get-go what someone else's goal is. I mean, if all they care about is money and I have a job solely for the purpose of making money for my family and nothing else, then the consequence would have to be a financial. Like if you come late, we're docking your pay or what, like there has to be some kind of financial consequence. If you have somebody who says like, you know, I really want to be able to grow within this company, then they need to understand that this is going to be a mark on their, you know, in their file or whatever that shows that you're not being a leader, you're not whatever. So it would hurt their ability to then get to that level they want to get to. Uh, I apologize for my dog, full snore mode. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like unless it really hits a little bit below the belt, but a little bit where it hurts and then you're not really going to get change. And change is a funny thing because, you know, if you look up the stages of change, I I look at these a lot because in any type of work I've ever done, be it before as a physical therapist or now as my grief coaching evolves, it's all about trying to get transformation and change within people. So how do you spark that? Well, you really need to understand all the different phases people need to go in order to like before they can really make a change. And it is very interesting because people have to like think about it first, like mow it over. You know, it's like there, there's a whole pre-contemplation before you're even contemplating it. Your pre-contemplation is like even deciding a change needs to be made. Like all these things, there's levels of it. So to think that just slapping a consequence and not really trying to inspire them to want to change And what makes people really want to change? Well, I believe it's only if whatever their goal or outcome was is now somehow like having the negative consequence there. Like they're trying, they're here because they're really trying to make money for their family and that's all they care about. Well, then they need to see that their action of showing up late will affect that negatively. You know, that's really the only, otherwise, why would they change? Why would they change if they're going to get sat down in the office, talk to blah, 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 back to whatever? Well, big deal. If they don't care about that, if they don't care about how it reflects on them within the company, if none of that really matters to their long-term goal and they know it's not going to be a threat to their money-making, they don't care. (laughs) And that's like a whole thing I'm seeing um, lately. I don't know if it's generational or whatever. A lot of people love to blame millennials or different generations for their, um, 
her, I mean, a baby boomers, everybody gets bad raps for their generation. There's very few that don't, but <laughs> isn't it funny? It's like easy to blame the masses of a whole generation uh, for what being slackers. I don't know. I don't think that any of that's true. I think it's in your nature. It's like you are who you are, but we're all motivated and driven by something. So to get out of people, whatever it is that we want to get, I think, you know, well, our expectations have to be reasonable. Um, but I mean, so this is another funny little personal story. But last night I was coaching basketball and when we left, my older son, who was just helping out at the practice, it wasn't his practice, but um, he said, Mom, you weren't like structured enough. And I was like, really? <laughs> oh, you did see what was going on there, right? He was like, no, seriously, though, I think that they need more like, you know, structure to the practice. I think it would go better. I'm like, I hear what you're saying. And he wasn't wrong in that. There was not a lot of structure in this particular practice. There was some. But the problem was we only had, there was a lot of sickness going around. I mean, we already only have seven kids on a team and two were out. So there was five kids <laughs> and two of the five were refusing to practice and sitting on the sidelines for most of the practice. Now, there's a few ways to look at it. The three that really wanted to learn and grow and play and whatever, thank goodness I had an assistant coach last night and he took them and, and did drills and things and it was great. But then we've got two other kids sitting on the sideline here. And the interesting thing about it is they were both there for different reasons. They both looked hurt and emotionally like drained. We're here to play a sport and have some fun, right? So I've got two kids not wanting to participate and looking hurt. Now, sure, I could continue on the practice doing scrimmages and drills and whatever. Now, first off, they didn't even want to participate. So I'd have three kids doing those things, right? And them on the sideline being miserable. I believe that, and my whole goal as a coach at this age level is just to have them love the sport and want to play. So I had to get to the bottom of this anyway. Like, what is the point if your half of your team is miserable? Like, what's going on here? So the first kid, I tried to figure it out pretty much the entire time and was getting almost nowhere. And then finally figured out, like, because every time I would change and start a new drill or something, I was like, are you going to participate this time? And then finally, I got him to admit that he was bumming out because he didn't think he could shoot. Now, this is a kid who could hum a ball, a basketball, full size, you know, adult male basketball from one end of the court to past the center court line with one arm. Now he was a peanut, a teeny tiny, like one of my smallest kids on my team. Um, but he had arm strength, like nobody's business and had some of those skills from playing football, right? So I know there's strength in his body, but I would watch him standing on that little block right underneath the hoop, trying to make a basket and couldn't even get, it was air ball after air ball, could not reach the hoop. And really, like, he had been sitting there sulking about it the whole time. But the, the solution was simple. Like, a few little tweaks of, like, how he was... I mean, sure. Now, I could work on technique and keep it perfect technique, and it could continue to airball because the strength wasn't there yet in that way. But he had come up with his own solution to gain strength from different muscle groups in his body in order to be able to throw that football and or basketball a whole court length. So he on his own had discovered how to use his body in a different way to get power. So I could either stick to making him do it the perfect, you know, we always used to call it cookie jar shot 
you know, and continue to work on the form of it and just say, oh, well, eventually it'll go in as he gets stronger. Or I could let him have a little win, a little success, and then get excited about the sport again. So it was like, I don't care if it's perfect right now. I mean, it's kind of like the equivalent of letting a kid do a granny shot, right? Like, I don't know if you guys know that from between the legs up, you know, I never let them do that. But, you know, it was like the equivalent of like just bad technique, but hey, it got there, it went in and he had a win. And I saw the smile on his face. So it was like, you know, really having to meet someone where they're at. But if in the absence of this, like if I had gone with what my oldest son had said and stayed structured and whatever, and just continued to like, you going to participate or not? No. All right. <laughs> you know, just keep going. I probably would have lost him to the sport. Like, I don't think he would be coming back next year. I don't think he would have been successful at it. I think he would have been miserable. I think in games it would have reflected as he kind of sulked around and didn't really try his best. But it, this is a kid who's very athletic and very good at most sports. So he's always had success. And now, so what's for him? Like for him, the win is you know, being able to succeed at being good at a sport, like having those, like everybody cheer as you made the goal or as you, in this case, made the basket, but he wasn't feeling those successes, those mini successes, even it was like, it is just not working for me. And in a mass group of, I mean, mass seven kids, but you know, even in the larger group of seven kids, there was no ability to have one-on-one time to work on something that he needed to work on to even enjoy the sport at all, you know, he would have just been lost. And then, so then let me go to this, the other little girl who was sitting on the side sort of sulking. It was like, she just kept saying to me, like, is it over yet? Or is it time to go? Is it? And the whole practice ever since like our season started has been the same thing. Is it almost done? What time? How much longer? So finally I said to her last night, like, what do you like about basketball? What do you like about this sport? I'm curious. And she said, well, I really like when I get to bring the basketball up, which is like being the point guard, you know, and bringing the ball down the court, which is not a skill that usually you would give to somebody like her who is like not that good yet, just started and kind of unwilling to participate. So like not really getting much better. You know, I wouldn't usually put her in a position where she's got to now ball handle all the way up the court and, you know, (laughs) make things happen. Like I wouldn't put that pressure on her. So I was like, interesting. What do you like about that? And she was like, well, I don't have to fight then to try to get the ball. Like, I don't have to work to try to get someone to pass it to me. Like, that was interesting. I'm like, well, what have you been communicating to your team? Like, what have you been showing them? She's like, kind of looking at me funny. I'm like, no, honestly, like, like most of the practice today, you've been sitting over here on the sidelines sulking. Like, what what have they seen? Have they seen that you love this sport and want the ball? And she was kind of like, you know, I could see the smirk come over her face. And she was like, all right, I guess you're right, you know. But it's true. Like, what has she been communicating? She's been communicating, I don't want the ball. I don't like this sport. I don't really want to be here. Is it time to go yet? And yet she wants them to pass it to her. But she's frustrated that she's got to work so hard to get open. And then they don't always pass it to her. And I said, well, so you're not liking that people aren't passing. And she said, well, so-and-so is passing it to me. Uh, because we play at school together. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. So he passes it to you because he trusts you and you guys play together and he knows that you like the sport and you like getting the ball. And there's a trust that's been bonded there, you know? 
but none of these other kids on the team know you in that way or have that experience with you. So you, what are you showing them? This is just like, guys, this is a life stuff. Like, what are you showing the world? Because whatever you're communicating with your actions is all that they can receive. They don't know what's inside your head. They don't know what's going on in inner workings of you. So it's like, what are you communicating to the world? Well, what is she communicating? She was clearly communicating, I don't want to be here. I want. I don't want anything to do with that ball. I want to go home. And they were reading that and picking up on it and not wanting to pass to her because they didn't know in the middle of the game she was just going to sit down and decide not to play because that had happened before. So they didn't know if the ball was in good hands that could be trusted. So they were avoiding her a little bit. So when I said that to her, it was like the light bulb went on. But these two kids needed a moment, right? It's very easy to get lost in the sea of life where like people are not taking the moment to have conversations with you to say these things. But I'm going to say it right now, like whatever you are communicating to the world is what is being received. That person showing up late to work was showing, I don't care about my job. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm on my own timetable and you, whatever you say cannot affect me. But what could have been happening was maybe they had a sick parent at home and some days their medications took a little longer and then they had to drop so-and-so off at school, but the drop-off line didn't start letting kids out of their cars until 8.05. And you know what I'm saying? Like there could be a whole story there, but the actions are what are communicating to people. They don't know your story. So why this is important, I mean, it's important like I was saying before, for like the employer to really try to get what they want out of person, they're going to have to have these consequences. But what as the employee, right? What about the person who's showing up late? Like just know every action you take every day communicates something. Every action. And so if what you're communicating is not what you are intending to communicate or wanting to or something else is getting in the way, if you don't communicate that, they will not know it. <laughs> You know, and so this makes me think of like, again, I did a lot of basketball references today. I guess tis the season. But, um, you know, I watched some of these kids at the middle school level having their games yesterday. And some of them I know are like star athletes, but they're out there and they're kind of jogging down the court. You know, they're they're like, you know, there's a loose ball and maybe I'll make the effort to get down on the floor to get it, but maybe not. Then you see like a player come out who just has so much hustle in their game. Uh, They are like running as fast as they can all the time. If there's a loose ball, they are on that floor with floor burns. Their intensity is matching their desire to play and whatever. And those are the kids that are going to be successful at the sport, even if they're not as good as the next guy. Because what do you think the coach is going to do? They're going to bench the guy who's jogging. They're going to play the other person who's hustling their butt off more, who's going to then get better, right? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. I I would love for all of my best players to play at 150% all the time, but it's almost become so easy for them that then they get kind of lazy with it a little. It's like, I don't have to try so hard. I know I can kind of jog down. Someone's going to give me a pass and I can take a, you know, shot from way out here and get lucky, you know, three quarters of the time. But uh, it's still not communicating that I am here. I am a hard player. I'm going to give everything I have. And what in life that's like valid and really important for everything, right? Whether you're somebody's employee or boss or, you know, a basketball player on a team, you want to be able to show that like I am a valuable member who is willing to give everything I have and then a little something, 
you know, and it, and you got to remember that your actions communicate things. So I said to my son, like a lot of you that uh, might be local and know, and you might've seen this little change. My son would always sit at the end of the basketball bench, basically. Well, they had individual chairs, but he would pick the chair the furthest down from the coach and he would have his body like contorted and pretzeled up, like kind of kicked back, laying, like he, his arms are all twisted around, his legs are crossed. Like he just, I was like, dude, you don't look like, put me in coach. <laughs> you are communicating with your body language. I'm just here. Like if you want to put me in great, but if not, whatever, <laughs> that's what it looks like. Like and now after listening to this, like every parent's probably going to have this conversation with their kids and everybody's going to be fighting for the chair right next to the coach. <laughs> no, it's not even that though. It's like, just don't look so disinterested. Pay attention. Sit on the edge of your seat. Cheer your teammates on. That matters in life. And that matters in the workplace. It matters if you are, you know, somebody kicking back in the break room, complaining amongst your coworkers about the way things are and kind of la-di-da getting back to when your lunch break's over, taking your time, throwing your stuff away, going on a ba- going to go to the bathroom real quick before you hit the, you know, back, it's slow, everything is la-di-da. It just shows. You know what I'm talking about because we all know somebody like that. Very much no skipping your step, doing it on your own pace, on the employer's watch or whatever, but it it reads like even if you think nobody notices over time, it's noticed. You can see when you see these two people side by side and who am I going to give a promotion to? I'll tell you right now, it's noticed. Like people notice if you're always the first one back after your break, if you're putting in your full effort, if you're, you know, taking your bathroom breaks during your, you know, actual lunch break and not like as soon as you get back on the floor, now you got to go, you know what I'm saying? Like this is, it's obvious to people. And if not, like, you know, if you, like over time, it'll be noticed. So I think that maybe we all get a little lazy. I don't think it's lazy as much as complacent. And that's a, that's kind of a bad thing. I think it's like over time, you know, with a whole community with everybody being sort of complacent and la-di-da, you know, and that's why sometimes some of the best employees are the ones that are fresh out of college because they've got something to prove and they're like, you know, sometimes those are the best. (laughs) A lot of people are like, oh, they're inexperienced. But look, they've got, they're lit up. They are ready to go. They have something to prove. They want to show you what they know. They don't want to be like looked at as the new guy on the whatever, you know, they want to show, yeah, like I'm worth it. I'm worth what you're paying me. And that's a beautiful thing. But, um, all right. So you know what? I've rambled a bit here. I am going to take a quick break and lots to come still when we get back. All right, guys. Okay, guys, write this down. H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash connection beyond struggle.com. That's the link that you can use to get your invitation to join my free Facebook group, for anybody experiencing soul-crushing loss, um, specifically people who have lost a soulmate, but there are plenty of other members um, experiencing divorce or loss of a parent or twin or somebody who just, you know, it feels like a part of their soul was lost. Um, And inside that group, I am doing some free coaching and it is a wonderful source of support. 
it is a ever-growing group with a lot of uh, people in there that honestly, it, if nothing else, any hour of the night, there seems to be people awake and, and helping one another, which is beautiful. But um, yeah, if you just want to be in a group of other people who are also going through similar type struggles and you want to grab an invitation to join the group, use that link and then I'll see you on the inside. All right, guys, back to the show. Now, we can't talk about setting expectations as a podcast episode title today without at least getting into a little bit about are we setting reasonable expectations? Um, When we do set expectations, it certainly puts pressure on, right? It's like saying that there is an outcome that we have already decided should come to be. So are we being reasonable with that and what we expect of others? Take, for instance, back to my very first story at the start of this episode about the little boy at school. Um, I happen to know his home circumstance. I happen to know that he does not have a beautiful situation going on at home. There's drugs and parents who are, are not, you know, teaching him these things. I mean, why do you think a small child would ever use that as like a weapon almost to hurt somebody? Because I know I teach empathy to my kids all the time. You can't expect empathy at the young age of eight or nine, but you can teach it. And every single time that something happens, even in this situation, actually, I made my kids empathize with him. I said to them flat out, you know, what what do you think he has going on at home? For him to think that those words were okay and not understand that It's not okay to hurt somebody who's already, you know, kick someone when they're down. Like he probably doesn't have a supportive mom and dad at home. So maybe because he knew how wonderful your dad was before he died, he thought maybe that would be something that, you know, would hurt, (laughs) you know? Like it's just, I want them to look at things from others' point of view. And if we could all just do that dance, it would be such a more, I don't know, kind world. (laughs) You know, I think in every single situation, you always need to question like, What's the motive here? Like, what is behind this? And I mean, a lot of it starts with our childhood and what we've been taught, what we haven't been. But also, like, at a certain point, you can't always blame everything on your upbringing because it would be easy to do so. And I think a lot of us want to do that. Oh, I was never taught how to appropriately work. Uh, All right, put your excuses down for a minute so you can actually address the problem. Regardless if we were shown or not shown at a certain point, We need to take ownership over like, I don't know how to do this, so I need to learn, right? We can't just keep using the excuse, well, I was never taught. That's fine. But I think adult eyes and um, a complex brain can figure out, you know, that you don't say mean, hurtful things to people. Because you see, like, over time, you've had enough experience with, you know, action and consequence, action and consequence. So you know certain words will yield tears hearts, whatever, like, you know, whether or not you were taught not to do that, you know, what happens when you do do it, you know, it does hurt somebody. So whether or not you were taught not to do that at a certain point, your own experiences can teach you. And so I think that we could always all say, yeah, like it does start when we're little and we do need to have those role models and examples. But I think like, even with this little guy, like, He saw what happened when he hurt my son by saying those words. And even this other little boy that stood up for my son, 
you know, had tears in his eyes and was upset by it. So he knows I said something mean. I said something that I knew would hurt. And then it got my friends really upset or these, you know, other schoolmates or whatever, really upset. And then I had some consequences I didn't like at school. Like, and it, there's got to be like growth there, right? Uh, but sometimes people don't, like the expectations they set for their children or for their employees or whatever, they're just not set high enough. So there's two, like one thing we can't expect like somebody to be reasonable when they don't have certain parts of their brain developed yet because of age and all that. I get that. I get that on a big level. The frontal lobe is like planning, future planning. Some of these things aren't developed in young boys until like college years. So I mean, not expecting, you know, miracles here. So the expectations do need to be within a, you know, a belt of what is even possible, right? Start there. Don't set the, don't expect from people to do what you would do. You can't expect people to know what you know, to help. They haven't walked your path in life. They don't have the same upbringing or experiences to then have, you know, that same way of thinking about things. So there's that. But then, you know, now also the flip side of that is, oh, we can't set such low standards. You know, it's like, we, if we're not expecting much out of people, you're not going to get much. So that's where I feel like uh, now in adulthood, once you're, you know, fully developed brains, um, we've had some life experiences under our belt, even if we weren't taught properly, all these things. Now, like we need to hold everyone to the same standard because if we like lower expectations for some people and hold higher expectations for others because they've always performed, it's very unfair. Um, you know, we, we all need to be held to a, the same standard. But then also the standard that we set can't be something that's only achievable by like 2% of the population, you know, and it also can't be so low that, you know, it's basically saying my expectation is not much. So then everybody can just underperform and underdo and know it's going to be fine and I can slide by. So like we have to raise the bar a bit. <laughs> we need to self-reflect on our own contribution here. Like are we truly, um, you know, are our excuses valid and like grounded in something? Like really is this because, you know, I never was shown how. I can tell you right now, like, I know people who were never shown how to manage their anger as children, but that doesn't mean that they are angry adults. They have since formed their own concepts around it. They didn't have the advantage like other people to not have to have experience teach them. You know, they didn't get to avoid some of these natural bad consequences. But actually, as a result, when they had life's bad, exp you know, bad um, things happen to them, these consequences then they learn more from that. So sometimes there's a little gift in that. Like when you do screw up on your own, there's so much gained from that. So let's say like I show up late work to work every day and I'm not on time and ready to go or whatever. And then that led to me losing that job and getting fired from it. Like now let's say, you know, Mary down the street, she, um, you know, had this upbringing where her parents always were on time and, and taught her that that is one of the most important things and you need to make sure that you're there early so you can get prepared and da, 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 da. and um, 
so maybe she was taught that, but then maybe she's going through some trials in her life. Um, you know, and she starts to get a little sloppy with it, but she knows it's the right thing to do, but she's just getting a little, a little behind, can't quite make it on time, but she knows versus let's say somebody else grew up and they never got shown that, you know, they're, they missed school a bunch. They weren't on time to anything. Their parents were always dropping them off late um, and then late to pick them up. And they didn't learn anything about time management skills as a child. Uh, and then what happens is as a consequence, they are so late every day uh, to work that they get fired. Well, guess what that just taught them? Way more even than that childhood lesson of like seeing your parents doing it and it working out for them and whatever. Even more impactful might be this individual who just lost a whole job because of it and now is struggling to pay the bills. I mean, that's a consequence, right? So sometimes you might even learn more through these life experiences. All I'm saying here is that an excuse of not having it is like, you know, a foundation and an example in your childhood. It can't, it can't be the whole thing. I think about marriage sometimes, actually. People talk about this a lot, like their upbringing, either you had parents who had this loving relationship or you were a child of divorce and never saw it. And it does affect when people are looking for that companion. You hear them say a lot like, well, I never want to be divorced. Like I experienced that as a kid and I like when I get married, it's forever thing. But then I've also heard people same experience in their childhood of witnessing divorce and all this. And then as a consequence, their first instinct when things go bad in a relationship is to bail because that's all they've ever seen. So like I've seen the same upbringing lead to two very different types of adults. So to fully say that it's a consequence of their upbringing, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, same thing with siblings. You'll see the same thing. They had the exact same upbringing. So totally same situation and that two totally different adults come out of it. So some of it is still, you know, it's those other, like other experiences that might've happened to us. And some of it's just the inner driving force or personality or genetics who knows it really is interesting but just to be self-aware I guess is the main message today is be really aware of your contribution what you're showing the world is how you're going to be received um, and it's how those expectations are going to be set for you and let's just put this out there don't be slacking because you want people to lower their expectations of you because <laughs> While that may happen, also, <laughs> the world still sees you. They still see what's going on. They still see how much effort you put in. All of that, it's bigger than just like, oh, good, now they don't expect as much from me at work because when I was staying late and working hard and whatever, then, you know, they expected that of me. And now that I've, like, I've dropped the bar a bit, but that's not a good thing. Think about it this way. Still, at the end of the day, when they're looking to give somebody a raise, let's say, are they really going to give it to the person who they've had to lower their expectations for <laughs> or to the person who's always above and beyond? And you know what I mean? So that's all. Like, yeah, of course, like you could make your life easier on yourself by doing less and then they'll expect less. But we really want people to lower their expectations of us. Or do we want to continue to try to like compete against yourself a little bit? You know, you're not one upping anybody else. Try to one up yourself. You know, oh, I did that last week. I bet I could do it this this way this week this much better, you know, and that's how I've kind of always just strived on my own. Anytime I want personal growth or change, 
I never worry about all the stuff. I worry about one thing. So like for the new year, every year, I don't worry about, let, let's say I decide, okay, I want to drop 20 pounds. I would not worry about like, okay, all the junk foods out of the house and all of the, nope, tomorrow's just going to be better than today. One thing, one little thing to be better than it was before. Like setting expectations for yourself that are not so unreasonable that you can't achieve them. You need to set reasonable goals. That's, I mean, expectations are all about that. You know, I mean, if you set things that are just too high of a standard, too unachievable, too much of a struggle, it just doesn't work. It doesn't sustain, I guess, is the best way to put it. So if you want sustainable change, make small, incremental, achievable goals where you're not setting yourself up for failure. I mean, I can easily replace one soft drink for a water a day and not fail at that. And then once that's easy, I can replace another. You know what I mean? But like all of a sudden, I'm going to get rid of all the soda in my house and have just water alone. It, I fail every time I try to do the cold turkey thing. So just be kind to yourself a little bit, you know? But when we're raising this next generation, I mean, expectations, we, whew. I mean, I tell my kids, I've, I've talked about this on these episodes before. I'm starting to get redundant, I think. But um, I tell them all the time that expectations will be set. Um, actually, I have a whole podcast episode about expectations. But, you know, they're going to that they're gonna judge you. And you do have an opportunity to be a new you every single day. So just like, you know what I mean? Take that. Make your New Year's day any day. I mean, make your New Year's moment right now. Don't wait for the next, you know, New Year's to come and say, oh, I'll change it then or after I get through the holidays, it's so hard. Like, I don't know. The excuses are just, they're not really helping. You know, it's like when we're going to, when we're setting expectations for our youth, set them high. And yeah, some kids will fail. Not everybody will get a trophy. (laughs) It's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. Because when you see other kids hitting those expectations and succeeding, that's a driving force, guys. I don't know about you, but I've always been driven by that. That's that competitive nature inside of all of us. When you see other people hitting goals and succeeding, you're like, I can do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? It makes our little inner self just stand up a little taller and be like, yeah, I can do that. I can totally do that. And then when you see them being rewarded (laughs) for that, all the more. And I will tell you from parental experience that that reward system, oh, it's so much better than the punishment system. The kids getting rewarded for the good behavior. Maybe start giving out extra recess time to the kids who are not using their hands instead of taking away the recess time from the kids who are talking in the hallway. (laughs) You know what I mean though? Like it's like, let's, that doesn't make any sense at all. Let's have consequences fit (laughs) and motivate. And I think if we, we just do a little bit of, um, more positive reinforcement. What actually, let's go back to that basketball practice I was talking about. I did say, and I have been in past practices, I've said like, you know, if you can't, then you're going to have to run. And actually what happened last night was, um, the kids were all like half-heartedly we're doing not, is it around the world? I don't know what the technical name for it is, but starting on one block and then moving up to the next line after you've made your shot from the block and then to the next, to the next, next. Anyway, point is whoever got like, I was trying to have them go all the way around the thing. 
Well, some kids couldn't even make it from that first block and they were getting so frustrated and then not even trying, literally pretending to try is like my, ugh. And so they were doing that, like, so like the ball would go up two inches. Like they weren't even trying. They were purposely trying to be like, see, I can't. And that was making me angry. So I basically said, at first I was thinking to myself, like, do I like have some type of negative consequence, have them have to sit out or whatever, but no, they kind of already wanted to sit out. So instead I said, um, whoever makes it around this whole thing first is not going to have to run with the rest of you. Well, wouldn't you believe as soon as I said that, every kid started trying and it wasn't because like, if I had said like, okay, well, if you don't want to participate, so sit out, we probably would have gone and sat out. And if I had said like, you know, for, it was just the way I think that the, in their own minds, they were like, no, I want to get out of this. I'm, I'm going to find a way I can do that. And so actually I don't, now that I'm thinking back, I don't think I made the rest of them run. I feel bad. And it was my son who actually won it, which is ironic because when I said it, he was actually in like the second to last place. So he was struggling to make his shot from the other side. Uh, but he's a lefty anyway. And I knew he had that whole side coming where he was going to be just fine. But it was like a mental thing. He had already set an expectation that like, I'm never going to win this now. Like I'm way over here and other people are already over at the foul line. So like it wasn't until that little trigger, that little spark of like, you know, maybe it's a little competitive nature in all of us, but we want to win. <laughs> Use that to our advantage of like, you know, just a little good reward system from time to time instead of us always having to be a community of consequence and, you know, adding more struggle to struggle. <laughs> so guys, this is almost the holiday. Ah, I can't believe it. Um, next episode, it'll be after Christmas for me. So have a great holiday. Spend some time with family. Um, make something great happen. You know, no matter what, just try to remember what the spirit and the true spirit of the holiday is all about. And just love who you your people around you. Make sure, you know, to keep faith at the forefront. And I will see you next week. Thanks for joining, guys.